Here we are reading from Acts chapter 16, just starting today in Acts chapter 16 and reading from verse 1. And just to remind you, remember last week we talked about this falling out that Paul and Barnabas had between each other, and Barnabas set out with John Mark, and he, he went uh, down... down uh, down following the route that they had originally gone on the first missionary journey, whereas Paul took Silas along with him and went up the northern way. And, and it says in verse 41 of Acts chapter 15 that Paul had gone through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So he went up through uh, uh, Syria and in that route. Uh, and so now in verse 16, chapter 16, verse 1, Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number. Okay, so in verse 1, you know, it's interesting to see what the scriptures say here. It says, when Paul came, came to Derby and to, to, uh, to Lystra... You know, it was in Lystra that he had been stoned. So severely did they throw stones upon him that they thought he was dead. And he came right back to that city. So he had gone up. So, so he, before that, they had gone down. They sailed across. They went to the island and then back up into the mainland and around. So Paul now is going up the other way with Silas, leaving some of the other churches, I, I suppose, to Barnabas and John Mark to take care of. And he goes to Derby and to Lystra, two of the cities which he visited. And remember, their intent was to go and strengthen the churches. Their intent was to go and meet with the churches that they had, had shared at formerly and go and strengthen them. And so they go to the church at Derby and at Lystra. And there's the mention of this disciple named Timothy. And it says he's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And if you just think about that, why does it matter? You know, I'll, I'll meet with you people, and, and regardless of your nationality, you know, you are who you are, and, and you, are, you love the Lord or you don't love the Lord. And, and why, why pick on people's nationality and, and religious origin? Not that it's being picked on, but why even make a mention of it? Well, it turns out that was a very important thing in those days and the relation with different peoples, and that's why it's mentioned. The things that are important to us, God really takes importance with. And it says that, that Timothy was a disciple. It says, and a certain disciple was there, named Timothy. Now, maybe Timothy had come to know the Lord on Paul's first missionary journey. Maybe. And it says, he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and his father was a Greek. And if you keep your finger there and turn to 2 Timothy, you can see 
that, that there's, there's some other words about this when Paul is actually speaking to Timothy, when Timothy now, in, in 2 Timothy, is very involved in the ministry and in leading one of the, the local churches. He says to Timothy, um, in, ver- in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, I thank God whom I served with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remembered you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. So Paul referred to Timothy by this point as his son. He loved Timothy so much. Timothy meant so much to him. They were very good friends. And he says, you know, I'm reminded of your tears, the way you would, you would pray. And, and, and he says that, you know, this faith that you have was first in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and I'm sure it's in you as well. So look at what he does. In, in chapter 16 of Acts, verse 1, it mentions that there was this man named Timothy. And in verse 2 it says, And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him. So Paul was looking for another traveling companion in addition to Silas. Silas may have been an older man, sort of like Paul. The first missionary journey they had taken John Mark, who was a much younger man, probably to help carry the baggage. And this is what young men do in the body of Christ. It is. It is to carry baggage. It is to move chairs. It is to do things like this. This is part of the call of young men in the body of Christ. Because you ha- your bodies are physically different. You can shovel snow. You can do things that, that it's harder to do You know, when you've thrown your back out and, 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 and your, your bones are a little bit older. And so Paul wanted this young man to travel with him. But he didn't just say, Oh Lord, show me the man and just go, There he is. Why didn't God do this? I mean, all people that could receive, it should be Paul. Paul could just hear a direct word from God for many things. Why didn't Paul just speak to, to him about, about Timothy and just say, Hey, that's your man. No questions. No problem. You don't have to mess around with anything. It's all there. But no, it says... Paul knew something about Timothy in that he presumed something because he knew about his grandmother, the faith that dwelt in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. So he knew what kind of family this man came from. Not that you exclude somebody because they came from a hard past, but if they come from a good family, it immediately says something about what kind of character they probably were in. One young man wanted to invite one of my daughters, and this was many years ago, to the, the senior prom. And, and we had always had an agreement in our family that if any young man wants to take you out somewhere, that, that you just ask them that they have to ask your dad. And this is something that they always grew up with. So it wasn't like they were 18 and I just came up with this new rule. Ever since they were little kids, this is what we talked about. Because I always cared about my children, who they would see, who they would date. 
And so when, this young, when she came to me, she says, this guy has asked me to the prom. I said, well, you know what we have to do. Gee, you, I, I want to meet him, but why don't you just tell him I'd like to meet him and his whole family. Bring his whole family over and we'll just have dinner together. And that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with this. If he's a decent guy, he won't mind. And so, so uh, uh, Shireen got on the phone with his mom and they all came over for dinner. And it turned out to be a wonderful family. And to this day, we are good friends. In fact, Shireen just went to the prom with him that once, and they never went out together again. However, the, the, his parents and Shireen and I have remained very good friends. And I knew just by meeting this family something about that young man. That spoke to me. That tells me something. So, what kind of family they come from is important. Not that you can't have a believer who's converted, who comes from some heathen family. That happens. But if there is good quality in the family, it says something about the family, about the person. And I knew, just meeting these people, that this was going to be a good kid. And finally, on the day that he came to get her, he came in his, his dad's Mercedes or BMW or something, because his dad's a big oil guy here in town. And, and he came in and he was all dressed up. And he, he walked in and I talked to him for a little while and I made very clear what kind of family we are and what kinds of things we permit and don't permit. And then after I got done with that, I said, let's get on our knees and pray together. And he got on his knees and I got on my knees and we all prayed together and, and, and the moms were there and they all took pictures. And then he, he went out in the car, and I could see him bow in prayer in the car with her before they drove, and they took their Bibles, and it turned out after the prom, rather than going out with other kids, they went out with one other couple, and they went to Starbucks, and they had a little Bible study together. And I always feel good about that time, and I was okay with that. There is no way that a young man is going to come into my house and say, Hey, uh, dude, can I... Can I uh, can I borrow your car keys? There's no way I'm going to do that. Why would I let him say, Hey, dude, you're going to go out with your daughter, huh? There's no way. If I'm not going to give him my car keys, you think I'm going to give him my daughter if I don't know anything about him? And there's nothing wrong with that. And one day you will be parents and you will remember what I just told you. It means something. Paul knew something about Timothy's family. He knew something about his grandmother, the deep faith that was there, his mother, the deep faith that was there. And he says, I'm sure it dwells in you also. Because you don't have a grandmother and a mother with that kind of faith without influencing the son. That's what he knew. And I know that when I meet quality parents, their kids are going to have things of quality that have been placed within them. And then it says in verse 2, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. So I'm sure he didn't come into Lystra and Iconium and say, you know, just happen to be walking in there and people run up and say, oh, God spoke to me and said to tell you about Timothy, what a wonderful guy he is. No, Paul was inquiring in Lystra and in Iconium, a neighboring city, what do you think of this man, Timothy? Look at the way Paul was careful about choosing his traveling companions. 
If I get a buffoon for a graduate student in my lab, they can make me look really bad. But if, I, if, but if the church gets a buffoon to be an assistant pastor, it is much, much worse. Because the expectations on the body of Christ are much higher than in the world. And when I do something wrong at work, do you know what my colleagues do? My colleagues who have nothing, nothing to do with Jesus, have no belief in God, would say, you know, how could you, you know, with all the religious stuff you do, have done this? And it is good that they do that. They hold me accountable. Because I say things about my relationship with God and they hold me to a higher standard than they hold themselves and to a higher standard than they hold others. And they should. And the, the standards in the church are higher than in the world. So if a movie star does something, our standards are very, very low. Oh, they're a movie star. They're a rock star. You know, they sleep around. But one hint of that in the church, and it is a huge problem, there is no way he was going to take a man without knowing something about his upbringing, something about where he had come in his faith, and something about what's his reputation among the people. He didn't just say, oh God, point out the man in you know, a bright light. That happens sometimes. But that's not generally how it happens. And so remember, who you team up with, who you partner with in the ministry is important. I remember this was many years ago. There was a young man who was going to go off on a uh, mission trip with, with one of the campus ministries. And I told them before they said, I said, don't take that guy. And he had attended my Sunday school class. And you think, you know, I'd be supporting him. I said, don't take the guy. Not that I didn't want him on my Sunday school class, but he wasn't ready for the mission field. I didn't even know that he was saved. They said, well, you know, he has this tremendous ministry, especially to Asians. I said, baloney. He has a tremendous ministry to Asian women because they're the only ones who will listen to him. Because American women, you know, just will just get repulsed by him and walk away. And Asian women who have a, a, a bit higher, hi, higher uh, uh, demeanors about them and, and, and treat people a little bit more nicely sometimes, just don't just blow them off and walk away. And that's why you think he has this tremendous ministry. It's just because they're being polite and listening to the guy, and as soon as they get a chance, they break. I said, he is not the guy for ministry for you. Well, he ended up raising the support that he needed and going, and then once he hit, he never got overseas, because once he hit the training program, it was an utter disaster. And they had to get him flown back to his hometown. It was, it was a, a disgraceful thing for them, and it made him feel really bad too. Because you've got to be careful who you get for ministry. I wouldn't have a problem recommending the guy for a job, but ministry standards are higher. And this is what Paul is doing. And then it says about Timothy, he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So we know that from, from that First Timothy, that Jewish woman is Eunice, and his father was a Greek. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Who cares that he's a, you know, his mother's a Jew, his father's a Greek? 
I mean, I thought we're supposed to be colorblind. I mean, why should that matter? Well, it matters because of what happens in, in, in verse 3. But let me, let me ex- explain something to you that almost no Jews know this. Because most Jews are like most Baptists. They do not read their own scriptures. And so they know very little about their own faith. They may know something about the traditions, meaning the rabbinic Judaism, the traditions of the rabbis, but they know nothing about their own faith, the majority of them, in this country. There are exceptions. Throughout the scriptures, a man was a Jew, or a woman was a Jew, based on their father, not their mother. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, not the God of Rebekah, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. If, it, if Jewishness was through the mother, then David would not be a Jew, because his grandmother was a Moabitess. If Jewishness was through the mother, then the children of Solomon, namely uh, uh, Rehoboam, who was the third king of Israel, would not have been a Jew, because his mother was the daughter of, of, uh, of Pharaoh. If it was through the mother, then the children of, of uh, uh, Joseph, n- namely Ephraim and Manasseh, from whom two tribes are named, would not be Jews, because their mother was the daughter of, of, a, of a, uh, um, an Egyptian priest. It was always through the father. Now, if you meet Jews today, they will say, no, Jewishness is through the mother. And that is rabbinic Judaism. That rule came in in around 950 to 1000 AD. And that's because so many Jewish women were being raped, they could not figure out who the father was, so they said, it's just going to be declared through the mother. That is not scriptural, it is rabbinic Judaism. And that's why Jews today and in Israel today, Jewishness is through the mother's line and not the father's line. But scripturally, in the Old Testament, it was always through the Father's line. Interestingly, the New Testament is the first place that we see that it is through either the mother or the father. Because Paul here is declaring, your mother is a Jew, your father is a Greek, but you need to be circumcised. And you say, well, whoa, why does he need to be circumcised? I thought we just got done in chapter 15 where they said, They told the Gentiles, you don't have to be circumcised, just do these few things so you don't offend the Jews. But circumcision isn't one of them. Because he considers Timothy a Jew. And so you can tell your Jewish friends that the first example of Jewishness coming through the mother and not through the father is in the New Testament. It is. It is this example. Because in verse 3 it says, Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew his father was a Greek. So Paul himself circumcised Timothy because Paul had come through the the Pharisaic order. He could certainly do this. He circumcised Timothy. And he said, well, why is he doing this? I thought he didn't have to do this. This was a really big deal back then. You know, there's a whole lot of things that are big deals to us that aren't big deals in the Bible. There are other things that were big deals in the Bible times that aren't big deals to us. And it just shows us that God takes interest in in people and where they are. And so, he had him circumcised, and he says that, that because of the Jews. So, why circumcised? Because 
circumcision was not a law of Moses. Circumcision predated Moses by about 600 years. It was a covenant with Abraham that says all the male children of your line shall be circumcised on the eighth day. And if they're not circumcised on the eighth day, get them done as soon as you can. And he says, within, this is reestablishing the covenant that God had made to Abraham for this Jewish man. And he says, because of the Jews, they knew that this man's father was a Greek, but he wanted to prove to them that he was really a Jew. And so he had him circumcised. And he says he did it because of the Jews, as a testimony to them. So he did whatever he could to lessen the offense to Jewish people. Whatever he could. And that's why he told Gentiles. He says that that you are to abstain from things sacrificed to idols, even though we know that if you can eat food that's sacrificed to an idol, if you don't know about it, it's okay. It's not going to bother you. We learn that in the New Testament. But Paul told the Gentiles back at that time, he says, so you don't offend the Jews. If you live near them, don't do this. And he says, and keep yourself from such things. And, And so he said, do things to keep yourself from offending others. So, if we were to invite Muslims to our house for dinner, which we do many times, and if we know they're coming, we do not serve pork. Because that's offensive to them. We have every right to do what we want to do in our own home. But we don't serve pork if we know they're coming. If we know there's an, there's a, an Orthodox Jew coming, we won't have any pork in the house. And in fact, we have had Orthodox Jews that according to their rabbinic law, you have to, for them to eat in our home, that the the dishes have to be washed in boiling water. And so when we have Orthodox Jews in our home, my wife will wash the dishes with boiling water so as not to be an offense to them. Paul went to great lengths not to be an offense to people. Now, so, so we see here how Paul chose people. It wasn't just... Pray to God and randomly make a choice. He found out the family. He found out what they're like. Do, how do they pray? You pray? He says, I remember how you prayed with tears, Timothy. He wanted to hear him pray. I met my son-in-law-to-be just a couple of weeks ago. And when this young man wanted to, w- w- wanted to take my daughter out from Israel, she told him he was going to have to call her dad. And he called me, and he talked with me, and he was a wonderful guy, really a great guy. We had a great conversation, and, and I put him through the test. And then, then a few weeks later, he was giving the Torah message in their Messianic congregation. So he's like us, he's a Jew that believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, when I talked to him on the phone, I asked him about his family. I said, tell me about the family you come from. He says, well, my mother is a, is a Gentile, my father's a Jew immigrant from Romania, he comes from these, these peoples, and... And he talked about his home life and his upbringing. That meant something to me. Not that that had to be, but it immediately established something for me. I didn't come from a believing home. So that's not a requirement, but it's good to know. And I wanted to know about this. And then a few weeks later, he, we, we spoke on the phone. He told me he was going to be giving a Torah message in his, in his congregation. And, he, and I said, tell me about the topic. And it was really complex. It was really an interesting topic. I said, well, and he says, I've got all my notes here all written out. I said, could you send me a copy of your notes? I want to see them. He said, well, they're all in Hebrew. I said, transcribe them. And part of that was a test. You know, I just wanted to see if he would say, forget this guy. 
I wanted to see what he was made of. You know, and, and, and as a mother, as a father someday, there's no problem in doing this. I mean, this young man is taking my daughter out. Do you know how much I've invested in my daughter? From be- before she was even conceived, I was praying for her. From the time she was in the, my wife's womb, I was praying for her. From the day she was born, I was there. And I prayed over her. And I taught her. The Word of God. I opened to her the Word of God every morning in our family devotions. And I taught her to memorize the Scriptures. And I'm going to let some guy in Israel run off with her without questioning him? No way! She's precious to me. And so, I said, transcribe it and email it to me. And, you know, I thought he wouldn't do it. You know, people say, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. They don't do it. The next day, I had in my email box the transcribed six pages of typed notes, which was the transcription. I said, this guy's all right. I mean, not only was the content really deep, but you see, he he fulfilled the test. And so this is how he chose people. This is how Paul chose people. And then when the guy came... So he was here a few weeks ago and several of you met him. He's a wonderful young man, but I got alone with him in the room and and it was in the evening and I said, let's pray. And we got down on our knees. I wanted to hear him pray. If all he could say was, Jesus, thank you for this food, amen. I knew we had a problem. And that actually wasn't the first time I prayed with him. I had prayed with him on the phone before. And before he asked my daughter to marry him, he first called me, and he talked with me. He says, you know, I, I would like to ask your daughter to marry me, and I wanted your permission. He doesn't have to have my permission. My daughter is almost 24. She can do what she wants. But he chose to get my permission. You see the difference? He didn't have to. If my daughter said, I'm marrying him, I'd say, okay. But you'd miss out on the blessing." You could have permission, but if you want the blessing. And what he called me, he said, I'd like to marry your daughter, and I want your blessing. I mean, he knew exactly what to do. I'm sure she primed him on what to do. But there's truth in that. It is not just permission. And they don't have to have my permission. She's plenty old enough. I've released her. But they want not just the permission, they want the blessing. And so I listened to him pray. I wanted to see how he prayed because I can tell whether a person prays by how they pray. If they never pray, it sounds like they never pray when they pray because they don't know how to talk to God because there is no relationship established. And so I listened to him pray. Paul says of Timothy, remember he said in in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I remember you praying with tears. There's that type of passion. People only pray with tears when they pray a lot passionately about something. He says, that's how I remember you, Timothy. And in fact, your mother was the same way. And so was your grandmother. You're a good guy. And, and so, before I said yes to this guy, I called his father. And I wanted to talk to his father. And I wanted to see what his father's thoughts were and opinions were concerning my daughter whether this is the right thing. 
And then it turns out when I'm talking to his mother, his mother is saying how she was praying for this young man, for her son's wife, since he was born. And here I was on the other side of the earth praying for my daughter's husband since she was born. And you see what God does. This is what God does. Isn't this a beautiful picture? Don't you want that for your children? Don't you? This is what you want for them. To check things out. And this is what we see in the Scriptures. You see how practical this word is? He checks out Timothy. He goes not just, not just to, to Lystra, where the guy is from. He goes to a city, Iconium, which is 90 miles away. And he says, what do you know about this disciple Timothy? And it's when he hears that that he says, I want this guy to travel with me. This is tremendously practical in business, in life, in dealing with people, to understand who you're dealing with, in families. And so he took them and he circumcised them. And then in verse 4, And while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So they were delivering the decrees that we had read about in Acts chapter 15. And it was bringing great joy. Some writers write that Paul made a mistake in circumcising Timothy. He made no mistake. Had he made a mistake, he would have talked about it in the epistles. It would have been referenced. He never writes about regretting that he circumcised Timothy. Jews were to be circumcised. It bothers Gentiles. It bothers Gentile believers that Jews would celebrate Passover. Jews who believe in Christ would celebrate the Passover. They're not looking at that lamb as their redemption. They look at Jesus as their redemption, but they celebrate the Passover because the Scriptures told them this is something that should be done throughout your generations. And Paul himself would hurry back to Jerusalem for the Passover, it says. Don't let it worry you, O Gentile, that the Jews should practice circumcision. This is a custom that predates Moses. It was a covenant that God had with Abraham. It doesn't draw them away from the Lord. They don't look at circumcision for salvation. This is covenant relationship with Abraham. Let it not trouble you. Paul never regretted what he did here. If a Jew who believes in Christ looks at that Passover lamb, which you can't formally have because you can't kill a lamb because you can't sacrifice it properly anyway, but if they celebrate Passover and if they look to the Passover as their thing of redemption, that's wrong. But I don't know any Messianic Jews that do that. They look at Jesus as their Redeemer just like you do. These were traditions that they held. And you will see people from different countries have different traditions. You know, you go to a wedding. Where does it say in the Bible that at a wedding, you know, the two should go up there, the guy has to wear a, a, a tuxedo, and the woman has to wear a long, a long white dress with a veil? Does it say that in the Bible? No. This is a tradition that we have in the United States. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just what it is. It's okay. And God lets us have our traditions. And as you go to other countries, you will see traditions, you will hear music, you say, this can't be godly. Well, it may not be necessarily ungodly unless you can find some ungodly aspect about it in the Bible and point it out. So there are different peoples, there are different traditions that you see. 
And so they were delivering this message that, hey, you Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. It says in verse 5, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and they were increasing in number daily. So this is where he had gone and he started strengthening the churches. And what we're going to read about next time is then what happens after this, this amazing strengthening period. Then where God begins to direct them and how he directs them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these young people. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would work on their hearts and their lives to take the things that you teach us in the Scriptures, in the Word of God, and apply it to their lives. Father, I pray for these young men and these young women as they themselves will have children. That they would be praying for these children. And that they would guard the the hearts and the minds of these children. And Father, I pray for them in their positions that they would learn to honor Your Word and learn to see what is good and what is right according to the Scriptures. Father, that You would bring to them godly spouses who love God, who honor You, who respect the church, who respect parents. And Father, that the two of them, that You would establish many good couples, many good couples through these young people. And Father, many good homes Father, teach them your ways. Teach them the ways from Scripture. Lord, I thank you. And I praise your name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.